We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, reviewing week one of the 49ers 2019 season is Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's up, man? Oh, just hanging out. You First things first, I need you to tell me how you went about beating the Heat in Tampa Bay this weekend. Uh, I stayed inside. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really go outside unless I needed to but it actually like it wasn't that bad for me because I wasn't outside for very long when I was outside but it was definitely warm and uh and talking to the players afterwards it was it was definitely a thing like it it was like Richard Sherman said it was the hottest game he's ever played in and he dealt with hydration issues uh I and a bunch of other guys did including Matt Breida and, and even Robbie Gold the kicker was dealing with hydration issues. So yeah, it was warm out there. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why the NFL does this, where they schedule games in places where there could be hurricanes and or obscene heat and humidity. Um, But it happened. The 49ers won 31-17. It's the first time they're 1-0 and above 500 since Kyle Shanahan became head coach in 2017. So that's good. Uh, It's the first time, or I guess the, the 49ers had three interceptions after having just two last year. Also good for them. 
Um, just a sloppy game overall, but I mean, you know, the old adage, any, any win on the road in the NFL is a good one. Um, so we're going to review, we're going to review game one. It's the first time in this pod's short history that, that we've had to review a regular season game. Um, so Kyle, what's real quick, what stood out to you about that game Sunday? It was a complete reversal of what we saw last year where at least on the defensive side because the defense looked pretty incredible for for most of the game there were some hiccups here and there but if you had said at the start of 2017 when Kyle Shanahan came in that he'd win 10 games his first two years and then his third game would or his third season would start with a dominant showing by the defense and the defense looking like it's going to lead this team this year I'm not sure I would have believed you, but that's where they invested most of their resources, and it showed at least in week one. Yeah, the 49ers have their most complete roster on the defensive side since Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Since Jim Harbaugh left. Well, right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and so having Nick Bosa and D Ford, obviously the pressure that they provided really, really changed the the game. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I think first let's run down sort of what happened in, in this game. And, and it was very apparent early on that the defense was energized. And I think we've seen that throughout August, the preseason and, and training camp, pr- particularly the joint practice sessions with the Broncos, where the defense comes out with a lot of energy. And, and they definitely did in this game. And Jameis Winston started one for six on his first two possessions. Uh, the Niners got a blocked punt from Mark and Zacha. Uh, special team standout, somebody who almost got voted to the Pro Bowl last year because uh, he's from Germany and, and the people in Germany were, were filling up the ballot boxes uh, with Pro Bowl votes. But, you know, the defense really came out swinging early on. And uh, it was apparent that they were going to be able to pressure Jameis Winston. I, I think the 49ers pressure rate was something like 44%. Uh, I think ESPN yeah. had that stat, which was the third best in the league over the weekend. So that's a huge departure from what we've seen from the 49ers. And obviously D Ford and Nick Bosa being in the game, playing together, uh, complementing the first round picks the 49ers already have on the roster is obviously a very big deal. Uh, so the 49ers are unable to score a touchdown on their first drive. They have a, a, a quick pass to George Kittle negated uh, by a Kyle Juszczyk offensive pass interference call. Very questionable. The Niners hit the locker room uh, down 7-6. Seven, seven, yeah, and they had a chance for points there at the end of the right. first half. They threw a screen, I think it was to Kittle, and then they threw another one to Debo Samuel. It looked like a nice safe play up the sideline. It was going to allow him to run it down and kick a field goal as the half expired to to probably take the lead. You figure Robbie Gold kicking a short field goal is, is money. Uh, instead, Debo Samuel fumbles when he ran into Just Mike Glinchy. It. it wasn't even yeah, it wasn't even a, a fumble forced by the Tampa Bay defense. So that was that was a killer and looked like it might swing momentum in that. Yeah, game. there was a there were a few points in, in the middle of the game, particularly early in the third quarter and, and in that second quarter too. Like you you it sort of had this here we go again vibe. Like the 49ers were clearly outplaying the other team, but the other team was staying in it. And you thought because the Bucks are at home and we saw it last year with you know, the Cardinals and even Josh Rosen, like, all right, the Niners are winning and they should win this game because they're outplaying their opponent, but their opponent is staying in the game because the Niners are keeping them in the game. And 
that right. Debo Samuel fumble where he just ran into his own guy was a classic example of that. And you had that later too when Kyle Shanahan elected to kick a 57-yard field goal even after the Buccaneers had, had turned it over three times already to that point. But let's go back to, to the start of the third quarter. So the 49ers come out. Uh, they get a nice drive from Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and his best throw of the day by far was that 39-yard touchdown to Richie James Jr., his second since coming into the NFL, and and um, just, a, just a really well-thrown pass, good protection overall. Uh, we'll talk about Garoppolo here in a second. Um, and then the very next series from Tampa Bay is a pick six. That makes it, uh, for Richard Sherman, that makes it 20-7, to seven, and, and the 49ers are very much in control of that game. The Buccaneers do come down, score another touchdown. Uh, Godwin get, gets a 10-yard pass from, from Jameis Winston, who scrambled to his right to evade pressure. Then another field goal to make it a one-score game. And at this point, you're sort of wondering if, if the 49ers have done just enough to lose by, by allowing Tampa Bay to stay in it. They get another 47-yard field goal from Robbie Gold, and then obviously the late, the late Akella Witherspoon pick six just before the two-minute warning. Um, so the 49ers had three interceptions, two for touchdowns. The three interceptions obviously were more than the team had all of last year, which sort of goes to prove how fluky and weird that stat was. Um, and, and coming into the season, I, I look at, you know, ter- takeaways, the 49ers should probably get 30, right? Two a game is, is about where you need to be and about what they've yeah. averaged when, when they've had winning records or when they've been 500 or better in this last decade. I think the average was just over 31. And, and when they were, when they were low, uh, below 500, they averaged 16.2 takeaways per season. So two a game, 32, you want to get to that 30 mark. Obviously, having four in the first game is really crucial uh, for them. Just sort of set the tone. And and look, the Niners did play well, but Jameis Winston just played terribly. Um, and he did it behind a bad offensive line. So I don't, I don't want to overreact to this game and say the 49ers defense has arrived because I don't know how good of a test it is to play against Tampa Bay. But, but the early takeaway right. for me from this game is just the fact that it looks so much different this year than, than these past two years because, like you said, it was a defense really carrying the water. There were two things there in, in, in what you just said that I think are important. The Niners had four takeaways, and they could have had six pretty yeah. easily. Quan Alexander dropped a, dropped an easy interception right in his hands in the first quarter, and then Tavarius Moore dropped one uh, late in the game in the end zone that he would have taken back for six, I think, pretty easily. So the 49ers were in a position to to have even more takeaways than they had. I think the important thing is you talk about you don't know how good of a litmus test Tampa Bay is, and I think by the end of the year we're, we're going to be looking at that as a game the 49ers probably should have won. But I think they lose that game last oh, year. Oh, no, no question. They, the last two years, they lose that game. And I think that's what really matters because you mentioned in the middle of the game, there were a couple of kind of turning point moments where, where it looked like Tampa Bay was going to gain control of the game. And the 49ers have let those games slip away time and time again in the Shanahan era. And they didn't. They came up with big stops in the red zone. They came up. They bent and didn't break on defense. They got just enough. From the offense, I, I, I really think, like I said, I'm not putting them in, in the playoff conversation based on Sunday's outcome, but we saw progress, undoubtedly. And I think that's really what, what you want to see early in the yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your to your point about like bending but but not breaking, the Fred Warner uh forced fumble on OJ Howard. 
in the first half really sort of set the tone, I thought, because it was the first takeaway the 49ers got. Um, and obviously it took points, potential points off the board for Tampa Bay. And then, you know, just, just the Akella Witherspoon's pick six was just sort of emblematic of the whole game because, you know, it was a screen pass. So, uh, you know, the pressure was was allowed to, to a certain extent, but having Nick Bosa and D Ford force Winston into just chucking it into no man's land. And then Akella Witherspoon, who had probably the best game of his career, and, and I don't think it's particularly close in just the way that, that he defended Mike Evans. He, I think he had at least two PBUs. But he, he had really good coverage on, on multiple plays, including the pick six, including that deep pass down the left sideline to Mike Evans when the game was still close. Um, just a really encouraging performance from Akella Witherspoon. And, and Richard Sherman talked about it all offseason, being able to tie coverage to the pass rush and, and having those work off each other. This was the best example that we've seen to date, obviously. Yeah, and the, and, and the secondary just looked we talked we talked a little bit about on this podcast the increased athleticism on defense. Drake Greenlaw, Quan Alexander, Tavarius Moore getting in there at safety. I think we saw that yesterday, and we saw a defensive unit that was playing with way more confidence than they did last year. Akella Witherspoon was extremely decisive when when he went to go make a play. And that was something that we didn't see from him last year. Tavarius Moore, I mentioned the the near interception. He broke on that route. Uh, right away and, and made a good play on the ball. And we saw that multiple times with with players on defense not second-guessing themselves, just putting their foot in the ground and getting to a spot and making a play. And that's something they didn't do at all last year. Yeah, totally agree. So, But the big news or the big the big thing that we really have to talk about is, is the game from Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Garoppolo in his first game back since his first regular season game back since tearing his ACL last September in Kansas City, he goes 18 of 27 for 166 yards, a touchdown, a horrendous pick six, an 80.2 quarterback rating. Uh, he had just 6.1 yards per attempt, which is a career low in, in any of his starts, in any of his 11 starts. For his career, he's over eight, which is about where you want to be if, if you you know want to want to be running a top shelf offense. You got to be at least over eight. He was 8.8 for context. In the at the end of 2017, when he was five and zero as a starter, and that led the NFL over that span. So, you know, a shaky performance, a performance that was just good enough. Um, but when you're a good football team, like, and your defense carries you in certain games, and and that's what had to happen. So, the fact that the 49ers got a relatively subpar performance from Garoppolo, but still won the game. I think is really important. But Garoppolo talked about it afterwards. He said, you know, the throw to the boundary, um, the the slow developing play with, with Hargreaves right there, uh, just a really easy pick six, probably as easy a pick six as you're going to have with Tevin Coleman lined up wide. Um, you know, bad play, bad decision. Uh, there was no throw that, that Garoppolo could have made there aside from just airmailing it out of bounds that would have been – the correct play. So obviously decision-making for Garoppolo needs to improve. Um, his accuracy needs to improve. He, he had three passes that really stick out to my mind. He, he had one to George Kittle up the right sideline uh, that could have gone for, for a pretty sizable gain. Uh, he, he threw a little bit behind Marquise Goodwin in the third quarter um, on, on a pass when the 49ers are really starting to establish the running game and, and using a lot of 22 personnel with, you know, two tight ends and, and, I think they they average. Grant Cohn tweeted something like they average over eight yards per carry in twenty two personnel, uh, 
which is an interesting thing to point out because the 49ers used a lot of three receiver sets. Um, and only Dante Pettis on two snaps. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but Garoppolo, you know, missing Marquise Goodwin, missing Kendrick Bourne over the middle, his numbers would have looked a lot better had those plays gone for completions. And also, you know, having the two touchdown passes negated to George Kittle is is obviously something that changes his stat line and particularly his quarterback rating pretty drastically. So, look, I, I don't want to overreact to, to Garoppolo not being as accurate as he was in 2017, obviously. Um, I, he definitely doesn't look the same in the face of pressure as he did back then when, when he was sort of this freewielding gunslinger and, and pl- who played really fearlessly in the pocket. And that was one of the things that, that he did best in 2017 was, was make really good throws in the face of pressure. And now he's, you know, obviously when you injure your front leg, um, there's going to be an adjustment period. And I think we're watching him go through that in real time. So the question is going to be, can he uh, get back to that confidence level he had in 2017? Or is this sort of the new normal? And is he going to have to adjust his game based on that? Yeah, the the most troublesome thing, because we knew there were going to be some of those jitters. He didn't look super comfortable in the pocket. He made a couple of nice throws, but the throws he missed are the ones that really stand out. There was an easy one to Kittle. It wasn't a wheel route, but it was, it was one that Shanahan schemed Kittle open really nicely, and he was going to run for a while if it gets completed, and Garoppolo throws it high. They had another one later in the game where they ran a play action and, and had Kendrick Bourne wide open over the middle, and Garoppolo sailed that one high. Bourne probably should have caught it, but still, it wasn't a great throw. And then there was another one to Marquise Goodwin uh, with Garoppolo rolling to his right. And Goodwin was had a step on the, on the defensive back, and Garoppolo again threw it behind him. If he hits Goodwin in stride, Goodwin probably takes it to the house. And it's those little things that, like you said, in 2017 just didn't look like they were going to be a problem. He was super accurate. He was throwing the ball all over the place. And then yesterday, he just didn't do that. There was a lack of decisiveness that I can't tell is an issue he has as just as a quarterback and the type of player he is, or if it's something with his knee and he's still getting still getting comfortable. But it looked like on multiple occasions, he had open receivers underneath in those short to intermediate routes, and he bypassed it to try and look deeper down the field. And like I said, maybe that's just how he is as a player, but whatever it is, he has to fix those two things, that decisiveness and then accurately throwing the ball down the field. Because if he's going to not put his receivers in positions to make plays, it's going to be a really long year for the offense. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I do want to to sort of reserve judgment on on where Garoppolo is until – Sample sure. size grows a little bit. And also, I, I want to see what it's like when he gets Trent Taylor back. Because Garoppolo yeah. doesn't have a security blanket option right now. He has George Kittle, who is clearly the, the most preferred target in the passing game. But Kittle can't be a security blanket because he's going to be the the top person to cover and double team by defenses every week. And that person, by definition, just can't be your security blanket. And Trent Taylor is really the guy who made himself readily available to Garoppolo the most when Garoppolo was playing well in 2017. And you think about all those third down conversions, some of those red zone plays, Trent Taylor was Garoppolo's favorite target in those situations. 
Um, and now that Kittle is has established himself as a star, you figure that he's going to draw the most attention from defensive coordinators and the 49ers need an outlet somewhere else. And so now they don't have their top two pass catching running backs. Obviously, Jarek McKinnon's done for the year. And Tevin Coleman is going to be out multiple games with a high ankle sprain. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, I think the 49ers really need Trent Taylor to come back. And I think that sort of could be the release valve that the 49ers offense is lacking right now. And I would imagine Garoppolo would become more efficient than he was. And and maybe if the 49ers are able to, you know, be more effective in the running game, they, they weren't very good in that area, averaging just 3.1 yards per carry on Sunday um, without Tevin Coleman in the second half because he left that game because of the injury. So I, there, there's still a lot of moving parts to this offense that the 49ers are, need to figure out, but I want to see how Garoppolo plays with, with Trent Taylor back. Yeah, and one, one, last, thing, one, one last thing on Garoppolo. Ultimately, the, the, where he's being graded in this game, in week one, is on a little bit of a curve. And we talked about he just needed to be good enough for the 49ers to win, not turn the ball over. He had the one bad turnover, but after that, settled in, didn't turn the ball over the rest of the way, and did enough for the 49ers to win. And in a week one, zooming in in that scope, he was fine. But if the 49ers are going to be legitimate playoff contenders, he has to be better. Like, that's... That's all there is to it. He was fine week one, but like you said, I, I'm I'm reserving judgment on his entire season. But he can't continue to play like he did in week one if the Niners want to be want to be serious about making the postseason. Yeah, totally agree, and I, I think his play is going to improve as as the season goes on, and and we've seen it too these past two seasons from the 49ers that as the season goes on later in the year they tend to play their best football. Um, the problem has been that they're the first half of their seasons have been so bad that they that it hasn't mattered how well they've played late. So this year the goal is to is to remain in the hunt, you know, in through October and early November, and then make your push when you're playing your best football. And and hopefully for the 49ers, that's what they can do. But let's take a quick break. Kyle, every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's a one point. problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wires pumped a partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369. That's a really good deal. Uh, At Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit. That's just $369 and free shipping. That's a really nice deal. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Remember, Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE. You know what they say, once you go custom, you never go bust them. All right, and with that, uh, if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. Pick it up. <laughs> of course you take the money. 
So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Do you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try Parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Okay, so some some of the smaller items that, that we should talk about coming out of that game. Obviously, losing Tevin Coleman is is an important an important thing over these next few weeks because the 49ers running back depth is already taking a hit with the loss of Jarek McKinnon for the season. So losing McKinnon or losing Tevin Coleman now means you're going to have Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert and possibly Jeff Wilson Jr., who's currently on the practice squad, who's likely to get promoted this week. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big hit. This Tevin Coleman's a guy who in 2016, when Kyle Shanahan was last calling plays for him, had you know close to a thousand all-purpose yards and eleven touchdowns. And the eleven touchdowns would have led the 49ers the last two seasons, obviously. So it's a pretty big loss. Uh, the 49ers really struggled in the running game on Sunday, and you know if they want to balance things out and take pressure off Jimmy Garoppolo they're going to need to run the ball effectively to to get ahead of the sticks to be in better position to take deep shots downfield and to better utilize play action and so you know i think it's a significant loss particularly with what Coleman can do in the passing game we didn't see much from the running backs in that passing game on sunday the 49ers are probably going to want to get that going a little bit sooner than later <laughs> Because without Trent Taylor, like I mentioned, they haven't really had that release valve yet. So losing Coleman is is going to be an issue to to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, I think they have the the depth to withstand that kind of loss, though. They obviously wanted him to be super involved. He played through that high ankle sprain, and that's that's kind of how how important he was to their offense. But I think Matt Breida is fully capable of doing what Tevin Coleman does. Raheem Mostert is averaging almost seven yards a carry and nearly 50 attempts with, with the 49ers. I think it's four, I get 6.8 yards on 49 attempts. If, if I have my math, right, he's been, he's been really, really good uh, when he's gotten his opportunities. I don't think he can carry it 25 times a game, but he should be able to, to eat eight to 10 of those, of those carries. And Kyle Shanahan mentioned today that he likes him uh, as a receiver as well. And then Jeff Wilson acquitted himself well last year, as an undrafted rookie when, when he got called upon late in the season. So they have the depth to withstand the loss of Coleman. I, I don't foresee them rushing him back. And and I I, I really think that if the Niners were going to suffer uh, an injury yesterday, that's one that that I think they can survive. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's I, I'm curious to see how it goes, though. But yeah, yeah, I, sure. I, I don't. It's not good, right. <laughs> but but it's one that it's not it's not losing Garoppolo. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just going to be tough. You're down your your top two running backs, and the 49ers have obviously dealt with injuries at that spot the last two years. So we're curious curious to see how how that pers- how that. Hey, I have a question yeah. for you. Over or under one and a half games for uh for Austin Walter this year. Oof. Does he get brought back 
and put on the active roster at any point. So you're asking me <laughs> if another running back is going to get hurt or if, you know, Coleman's going to be out for longer than anticipated? Yeah. Um, that's tough. I mean, I hate to be pessimistic, but I would think over. Just because it feels that way. A, it really feels it's that such way. a brutal position and, and just there, there's no history of, of good injury luck with, with running backs in recent seasons for the 49ers. Yeah, and I think they're going to rely on those guys a lot, yeah. too. Well, let's talk about Dante Pettis uh, and just the receivers as a whole. So, obviously, Dante Pettis gets just two snaps, and he made one catch for seven yards in, in one of those snaps. It's very clear now that, you know, the way I felt about Dante Pettis during training camp might have been wrong, and I should probably eat a little bit of crow about that, thinking that Pettis was more or less fine. Um, clearly he's not in Kyle Shanahan's mind or clearly Debo Samuel is just a lot better than, than Dante Pettis right now. Uh, which is surprising given the fact that we both just about the entire world came into the season thinking Dante Pettis would be a starter. Uh, what Kyle Shanahan did say today in his conference call after the fact was that Dante Pettis needed to play more than two snaps, uh, and that it was on him and the coaching staff to, to make sure Pettis has more of a role. And, it's also worth pointing out that the receivers mostly struggled and, and weren't very effective. Richie James led the 49ers receivers in yardage with 39, all coming on his one touchdown grab. And Debo Samuel led the, led the receivers with three catches, but only had 17 yards. Um, George Kittle was the team's leading pass catcher, obviously, with, with eight catches for 54 yards and clearly Garoppolo's favorite target. But you know, I, I don't think the Niners offense or passing game, particularly to the receivers, struggled because Pettis didn't play well. But I think when you're not getting anything from your receivers, maybe you do think about rotating a little bit more to try to give the defensive backs different looks and get a little bit more creative with what you're doing. Um, but it does speak to the fact that Dante Pettis might have regressed. And and I'm fine with admitting, with admitting that I, I was probably wrong about that because I still think that Pettis had a better camp this year than he did his rookie year, but it simply wasn't good enough for Kyle Shanahan to feel confident in giving him a bunch of playing time early on. Um, and there was the groin injury that that Pettis, you know, that cost Pettis the, a week of practice during the the final, you know, the, the fourth preseason game that week. The 49ers were really starting to prepare for Tampa Bay, so that was an important week of practice. But Pettis opened last week on the injury report. He was taken off of the injury report Thursday and Friday, indicating he was healthy and a full go. But you do kind of wonder, and Kyle Shanahan said it. He said, you know, missing practice impacted him. He was behind the eight ball a little bit. Uh, but Dante Pettis, to me, becomes one of the more interesting 49ers to watch now uh, just because, you know, Kyle Shanahan handpicked him. That was his guy. And if – it doesn't go well and Pettis doesn't turn into a productive player and all of his confidence is gone. And, and that promise he showed as a rookie is out the window at this point. Uh, then, you know, that that's a pretty big blemish on Kyle Shanahan's track record in terms of evaluating talent and adding to this roster. So we got to watch Dante Pettis and how he's used going forward because the 49ers need him. Um, I mean, they, they, they just need him. It's, it's a, it's an unestablished, group of receivers and they need as much talent as they can get and, and Pettis needs to get on the field. Yeah, he does. And they need more from their receiving core just in general. And I think Pettis is just a perfect encapsulation of that. I know Kyle Shanahan said that the two snaps were kind of on accident, but a, co 
a coach doesn't just forget to put a player in the game when he thinks that player is going to help them win. Right. Like that's that you would never, you would never see Bill Belichick go. Yeah. You know what? Forgot to put Julian Edelman in. That's why he only had six snaps. Like that just, that would never happen. And the fact that when you look at the target distribution from yesterday, George Kittle had 10 targets. Nobody else had more than three. Right. That's not, that's not great for a receiving core that's supposed to be better. And I know that Trent Taylor's out, and you talked about him earlier, and that should shift that target share a little bit because of the rapport he has with Garoppolo. But they need more from, from Dante Pettis, like we talked about. They need more from, from Debo Samuel. And, and it's encouraging that Samuel is on the field so much, and it's encouraging that he made a couple of tough contested catches and kind of looked as good as advertised. But still, this was supposed to be a receiving core that, that got significantly better in the offseason. And whether it's the quarterback play or play from that position group, it didn't look improved yesterday. They still had to rely very heavily on George Kittle to move the ball. They got four catches and 24 yards combined from Marquise Goodwin and Debo Samuel. And Goodwin obviously Oof. only had one catch. Uh, Kendrick Bourne had one one catch. So if they're not getting any production from those guys, then that's going to be problematic. And if Pettis can't play while that's the case, then that's super problematic. Um, I do wonder, you know, you, you think about Wes Welker and sort of the player he was, right? The Niners position, the Niners wide receivers coach, undrafted guy, really tough. Uh, sort of the exact opposite of Dante Pettis. Like Pettis is an early second round pick, somebody the team traded up for. Uh, very different skill set than than Wes Welker, very different mindset. And, you know, Welker is largely the one responsible for the snap counts. And But to your point, Kyle Shanahan's no dummy. And if he wants somebody to play, he will get that guy in the game. He obviously can override anybody on the coaching staff. But you do wonder if how well the the marriage between Wes Welker and Dante Pettis is is going right now because you know this is Welker's first season in that position and it's coinciding with Pettis uh being looked at completely differently by Kyle Shanahan and the rest of the coaching staff and maybe he's regressing a little bit because of it maybe they're challenging him in in ways mentally that he's not used to uh I doubt we're not going to get much in terms of information about that until maybe after the season. Um, or maybe the groin injury was, you know, not being able to practice that week before the start of the regular season was, was, you know, really important in, in the coaching staff's decision to, to not give him much playing time. But the 49ers just need, need more from their receivers because Jimmy Garoppolo can't, it, it doesn't look like he's at a point right now where he's, you know, the rising tide that can, that can sort of lift all ships like he was in 2017. Right. Like he needs help. And right. so yep. whether it's Trent Taylor, whether it's Jalen Hurd coming back to be a big body target um, where you don't need to be as accurate because he has a, a bigger catch radius. Uh, you just need these guys to play better. And I do think they will. I also think the the Buccaneers defense is maybe better than we anticipated. Um, you know, Todd Bowles is obviously a really good defensive coordinator. So I don't want to, again, it's week one. You don't want to overreact to these things. So, so going against Cincinnati week two, we should have a better idea. And, and later this week, obviously, we'll, we'll preview that game coming up here. Uh, have I mentioned I'm in Youngstown right now? I'm in a, I'm in a hotel. It's like almost, <laughs> almost midnight in Youngstown while you're 
you're like comfortably like what 8:45 in the evening. Um 8:52. Yeah, it's uh I'll be Yeah, honest. but I'm comfortably ha- I'm comfortably 3 quarters of the way through this can of wine too. So Oh, there you go. <laughs> um I'll be honest, Youngstown uh not the most poppin' city. I don't think it's more like old town. Right. There you go. I don't think it's like, uh, I don't think a lot of people come here to party (laughs) would be how I describe it. Um, there's a really good ice cream shop called handles, uh, which is really close to my hotel, which, which, uh, we got to, uh, to experience today, which is nice. Um, but overall the, the 49ers being in Youngstown, I, I don't expect anybody to get arrested or staying out past curfew or anything like that this week because there is not a ton going on over here. How was traveling with Eric Branch of the San Francisco Chronicle? It was fantastic. If you uh, if you are like a true football romantic, um, Eric Branch is w- would be one of your favorite people. Uh, he knows where all these famous football players are from and you know, we're driving through Pennsylvania. We, we flew to Pittsburgh. We're driving through Pennsylvania, through all these Rust Belt cities. And Eric's saying, oh, this this player went here. This player went here. I actually went and visited this high school for a story I wrote about, blah, blah, blah. Like, he is he is the guy who just, like, goes to... He's been around forever. <laughs> well, no, he hasn't. He's only <laughs> been on the beat, I think, since, uh, th- since 2009, I want to say. I'm not sure about that. I have to go back and ask. But um, just just like a really funny dude to travel around with through small towns because it's totally in his bag. Uh, just like he, he, his favorite stories to write. And obviously Eric's incredible feature writer, but he'll go to a high school and talk to high school coaches and teachers and whoever, and, and just get these really amazing anecdotes about guys. So definitely read Eric branch, but no, it was super fun traveling with him. He's one of the funniest guys I know. Um, if you can appreciate his humor and, and I'll be honest, it is an acquired taste. But uh, everybody in the in the beat core loves loves Eric Branch, so it has been a lot of fun traveling with him. Um, not sure who I'm going to ride with over to Cincinnati. It's going to be about a five hour drive on Friday or, or Saturday, depending on when we do that. Uh, but the 49ers practicing in Youngstown, saving themselves from you know a couple cross country flights. So we'll see how it works out. I think the fact that they're doing it after a win on Sunday in Tampa is is kind of a big deal like if they had lost and then had to spend the week in Youngstown I think team morale would would be pretty low and they would be pretty pissed off entering Sunday so being one and know with a chance to be two and oh and really build a lot of momentum before that season opener uh, could be really important for them yeah I think so and what you said about getting a win in Tampa Bay I think was enormous especially and we'll preview that that Bengals game uh, later on in the week I think I think we'll record that on Thursday but I was watching some of the Bengals Seahawks game. That's not going to be an easy game for the 49ers. No, the Bengals brought it uh, against Seattle in Seattle and maybe coming off a, a, a tough game. They'll, they'll be a little beat up, but uh, it, you certainly feel better if you're the 49ers coming off a win. And I, I think we, we, I, was it, Jim Harbaugh's first year, 2011. That didn't they stay in Youngstown before playing in Philly? Oh yeah, and that Philly game three that year, I think. Yeah, and that Philly game wound up they they wound up winning in a game that they really had no business winning, and it was a real turning point for the for the franchise over the next three years. And I'm not saying that that this game against the Bengals carries that kind of weight, but 
going into week three against the Steelers team that got smoked in week one, if you go into that game 2-0 and in your home opener, you suddenly feel really good about about the 2019 season. And so I think, um, I think like you said, this is a real opportunity for this team to to put themselves in a position to to succeed long term uh, in in this season. Just think about what it could do from a mental aspect, because the Niners haven't won a game in the Eastern Time Zone before Sunday since 2014, since Jim Harbaugh. Week 11, 2014. Yeah, not great. And they didn't win a single road game last year. So if they could win Sunday, go 2-0 and on the road to begin the season before getting to the real meat of their schedule, um, that would be that would be massive. So we'll talk a lot about that at the end of the week. Uh, what, one final thing I, I guess we, we should talk about before we go, and it's kind of a quick point. Uh, a lot of Melvin Gordon talk in, in the Twitter sphere about, you know, the 49ers should trade for Melvin Gordon because they, they have an injury to Tevin Coleman. Um, I think there's there's really no chance that that's going to happen because uh, for a few reasons. First of all, I don't think the 49ers are interested in paying another running back a significant amount of money. Uh, also, I don't think they would give up the draft capital to do so. But further, and I think this is the most important point, the Niners only have $21 million in cap space because they have a quarterback under a massive contract because they have D Ford on an $85 million contract. So you have to pay DeForest Buckner and George Kittle at some point over the next two years, your cap space rolls over to the next season. So any month, any dollar you spend now is not going to be there for you when you need it later on. Right? So if you have 21 million and the cap rises by 10 million, which which is what it typically does year to year, you have 31 million. Well, if you're giving 18 million of that, uh, or maybe more, because the 49ers like to front load their contracts with guaranteed money, then you're really not going to have much cap space. Factor in George Kittle becoming eligible for another contract extension, or for his first contract extension, I should say, after his third season. Uh, if you sign him to a deal, say you're you're looking at what 10, 12 million a year uh, for for arguably you know one of the best tight ends in the, in the league who played 91% of the snaps on Sunday, um, you're really eating into that $31 million in cap space. Say, I mean, if you give Kittle 12 and you give Buckner 18, then you have no cap space. So why would you pay Melvin Gordon the, the 15 or whatever million that he wants now uh, when you need to pay those guys going forward and, and lose that opportunity. So would you rather have a running back who's probably the most replaceable position in the sport right now, rather than the flexibility to sign your two star players at the moment in DeForest Buckner and George Kittle to long-term contracts? I just don't see the 49ers trading for Melvin Gordon. And running back isn't this team's problem. They have a head coach. They have a head coach and a running backs coach who have proven throughout their careers together that they could draw up four yards a carry for you and me, Chris. They're not going to go spend big money on Melvin freaking Gordon. I'm sorry, who, by the way, in his career is averaging 3.8 yards per carry. He has not been great. Is he a do-everything running back? Sure, but guess what? There's a billion of those sitting on the free agent wire right now. If the 49ers needed a running back, they could go get one and make him be productive. Look at Raheem Mostert. Averaging almost seven yards a carry with the 49ers. They don't need Melvin Gordon. They're not going to go sign Melvin Gordon. They're not going to trade for Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon will never suit up for the 49ers. Boom. Let's so stop it. <laughs> so stop it. Like, seriously, stop, stop. Just stop. 
And that's my rant for you, today. You've been working at a uh, at a big time sports talk radio station, haven't you? Dude, a hot take factory over there, bro. <laughs> I've been working on it. <laughs> All right, well, check Kyle out at 95.7 The Game. He produces the <laughs> afternoon show. He has some great guests. Somet- sometimes. Like today we had Brian Baldinger and Steve Mario G. And that was it for our good guests. Um, that was it. It was it. cool. Was it. <laughs> I was on Kyle's show today. Yeah, you're always you're always fantastic, Christian. Thank, that's why we have Thank you. you much. Appreciate it. All right, that's all we got for today. Uh, we will talk to you guys later this week, previewing the 49ers game week two against the Cincinnati Bengals, live from Youngstown. We will talk to you guys. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com